0: Wow, what a service. Wow, somebody dared give me an energy drink before. I go like, (laughs) you know what? You don't want to give Brother Scheller an energy drink, and we don't need an energy drink after that service already. Wow, the choir and orchestra was amazing. And I want to tell you, weren't those testimonies glorious? Wow, that was good. Every part. Of the service tonight, but you're not going home yet, all right? (laughs) But I gotta tell you, that was just absolutely amazing. I do bring greetings from my pastor, Pastor Paul Chapel at Lancaster Baptist Church. He absolutely loves this man and appreciates the ministry here so much. And we just thank God that we can be friends every time I've ever come here. God has just blessed my heart. I was telling a pastor, I was uh, talking to today out in Colorado. <clears throat> and I told him, I said, man, I, I go to a lot of conferences that I can't wait to get up to preach, but not this conference. I'm telling you the honest truth. It, I don't come here to give. I come here to this conference to get. And I, I want to tell you, the Bible says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I don't know of any conference that takes a theme and covers it as extensively as this conference covers it. Think about the last 24 hours in what you have heard on the love of God. I've heard more and understood more about the love of God in the last 24 hours than the previous 40-some years of my life as a believer. It's just amazing what we've heard. You know, I was thinking, though, we're going to have overlap. And we're going to hear different people, and we have already have heard different people speak on the same passages from 1 John chapter 4. But doesn't that make this book amazing? You know, i never forget. I was a sophomore in college. And um, it was a Monday in chapel. And our pastor there at that time, Pastor Bob Taylor, got up. And uh, that Monday morning in chapel, he had us take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 19. That day, Pastor Taylor preached a great message on Zacchaeus. I walked out of chapel that day and I said, you know what? That is exactly the message I needed to hear. Next day, one of our professors spoke in chapel that day. When he got up in chapel, he said, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 19. Oh, well, he we giggled a little bit because I thought, oh, he just joking because that's what Pastor. But no, he went ahead. He didn't know what Pastor Taylor had preached. He preached a whole message on Zacchaeus two days in a row. I'll never forget this. I walked out of chapel that day, and I said, you know, that was exactly the message I needed to hear. Amen. Wednesday, we didn't have chapel. <laughs> Thursday, we had a missionary, Major Ron Brooks. Major Brooks came, he went to the pulpit, he said, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 19. <laughs> Everyone started laughing except for Major Brooks. He looked down at the administration and the administration said, are you preaching on Zacchaeus today? He said, well, yes, I am. He said, they said, it'll be the third message this week. but As long as I live, I'll never forget this. I walked out of chapel that day And that was exactly the message that I needed to hear. And I learned something that day I've never forgotten. God's word is alive. God's word is never exhausted. Never stand before your people and say, Hey, I know you've heard David and Goliath before, but we're going to do David. No, no, no. They've never heard David and Goliath from you, and they've never heard it today. And God's word is fresh and new. You're going to hear things tonight that you've heard already in the last 24 hours, but you know what? The Spirit of God's gonna use it again because it's God's Word. Now, I have to tell you, I got my outline last night sitting right where Mel is, right there. I looked up and I said, that's it, right there. Unconditional, unbelievable, and unstoppable. So I had a message, my message tonight is, why is God's love extreme? And I had three words. And those three words, we're going to use those three words tonight, but I'm looking up at that and I'm going, those go perfect with my message. So everyone together, help me on my outline tonight. What's my outline? Extreme love. Go ahead. I said, that'll work, that'll work. (laughs) Take your Bibles and turn to Hosea chapter 14. Actually, take your Bibles and turn to Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. So why is God's love extreme? By the way, that word extreme is an interesting word. I had to look up the definition. It has actually three different definitions. Extreme can mean two abstract things as different from each other from night and day. Well, in other words, when we're talking about God's love's extreme, it's completely different than man's love. It is as far away from man's love as possibly can be. I think it was already said that, you know, we can love ice cream, we can can love football, and we can love God. Well, obviously, there is a big difference between those three kinds of love. And we need to understand that there is an extreme different idea of the love we've been talking about and that of the world. Number two, a definition of extreme can be the highest degree of something is the extreme, the highest degree. We are truly talking about the highest degree of love when we talk about God's love is extreme. And then thirdly, going beyond normal limits. And I will tell you tonight, as we look at why is God's love extreme, we are going beyond normal limits. We are going to see a love tonight that is unlike any other love that the world has ever known. You know, wasn't it great to hear all this music? And by the way, your congregational singing is as good as the choir, and I mean that. I have just thoroughly enjoyed all the music. Have you noticed the difference between our face music, and everyone else's religion. Now, I don't know if you mean to be funny, but it's funny. Have you ever heard Hindu music before? Whoa. Man, it sounds like a car accident or something's going on. <laughs> I mean, it's just a weird... How many of you ever heard Buddhist music before? It is the weirdest, strangest stuff. Man, and I got to tell you, Muslims just don't have it musically, folks. But you know what we do? And can I tell you why our music is the way it is? Why we heard what we heard tonight? The love of God. You see, our religion is in faith. Our faith is not fear. Our faith is based on the love of God. So it put a new song in our heart. Even praise to our God who loves us. So here's what we're going to do for just a moment. I want to go through. So the first word is this. Why is God's love extreme? Because it's. Spontaneous. Now I want to tell you that is a. You say, oh, so you're going to do S's tonight. You bet I'm doing S's tonight. There's only three. But I want to tell you this. The word spontaneous, I didn't come up with that word. I'm looking up the definition of a word we're going to find right in, in just a moment in the Hebrew, in the book of Hosea. And in the theological word book of the Old Testament, the first word that they use to describe that word, we're going to get to it in a minute is the word spontaneous. Well, I had to look up, well, what, what is spontaneous? Because my wife says, you are very spontaneous, Jim. So I thought, you know, what does that mean? Well, we'll find out in just a moment. But Hosea chapter one, let's go through the book of Hosea very quickly, looking at uh, several different passages. And here, it, this first one has, what's our first point, everyone together? What's our first point? Unconditional. Unconditional. Because it's spontaneous, otherwise known as unconditional. Wait till we get there. But let's look at this unconditional love. Now, I teach at the college a class called Minor Prophets. And the very first thing I say, the very first, it's, a, it's a Monday night class. The very first night in class, the very thing that comes out of my mouth after we open with prayer is I look at all the students and I say, students, you hear this right now. There is nothing minor about the minor prophets. It has the major doctrines of everything in the Bible. And I will tell you, in the Old Testament, you do not have a better picture of the love of God than the book of Hosea. And it is an unconditional love. Hosea, you're going to marry a harlot, and you are going to love her unconditionally, and she is going to break your heart Because I want you to know, prophet, what I go through with the people of Israel. And I love them unconditionally. Look with me, if you would, at verse number two. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed whoredoms, departing from the Lord. Hosea, I want you to experience the love that I have for the people of Israel. It is an unconditional love. Look with me, if you would, at chapter 2 and verse number 7. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. You know what? You can look at everything in the world. Nothing is going to satisfy the need that we have but the love of God. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now. Man, isn't that a great verse on revival? Look over at verse 14 of the same chapter. Therefore, behold... I will allure her, this is God speaking, and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. As far as way as Israel has gotten from me, I'm gonna woo her back. You know why? Because I I love her. And I'm gonna woo her back. And I love her unconditionally. She's sure not making any conditions on a love relationship. Look at chapter three, verse two so i bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and an omer of barley and a half omer of barley and i said unto her thou shalt abide for me many days thou shalt not play the harlot and thou shalt not be for another man so will i also be for thee and aren't you glad the lord jesus christ purchased us with his blood and he loved us And he brought us in. Not that we deserve it. It was totally unconditional. Look with me if you would at chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Come and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. So I can't wait till Thursday already. Amen. I'm getting excited. Look with me, if you would, at chapter 10 and verse number 12. Now, many people say this is the theme verse in the book. And I guess if you're looking at it from Israel's standpoint, I would say you're probably right. And I just thought it was a great verse because I think God's starting to do this in my life in 24 hours. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your follow ground. That's the ground that's way underneath that hasn't been broken up in years. Break up your follow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Don't you sense if you've been here the last 24 hours, he's breaking up follow ground. Man, he's doing stuff. Just hearing you all pray, you can tell the plow's going down. And God's starting to break up ground. Real quickly, just a few others. Look at chapter 11, starting at verse 7. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the most high, none at all would exalt him. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? Everyone stop. God says, I can't give you up. Because of the way I love. My love is so, if I didn't have extreme love, if I didn't have unconditional love, I'm done with you. You haven't done anything to reach any kind of conditions. But I can't give you up. Boy, what a statement. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Ammon? How shall I set the azebium? Mine heart is turned within me. This is God speaking. My repenting are kindled together. I'm, I love you so much. I'm so emotionally involved with the way that you're living right now that totally against my word and the plan that I have for you. But look what it says. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One. And I love this. True, The greatest extreme love comes out of the holiness of God. And not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee. And I will not enter into the city. I won't judge you. I have an unconditional love. Now, we're getting really close. Now, I. this is my belief of the, of the theme verse of the book. Look at chapter 13. Let me read to you verse 4, and then we'll look at the theme verse, I think. Yet I am the Lord thy God. Chapter 13, verse 4. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt. And thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Now, look at verse 9. O Israel. Thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. You have totally messed your life up. You have totally not gone by any conditions in the word of God. You have completely destroyed yourself. But I want you to know, I love you. And I will help you. Man. Now, here's our verse. Chapter 14 and verse 4. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them. Everyone together, what's the next word? Freely. Freely. Look that word freely up. And the very first word in the definition was spontaneous. Now listen to this. Freely means spontaneous. In action, stimulated, by no external cause. An action stimulated by no external cause. In other words, there is nothing in you, Israel, to love. There is nothing that you have that I go, well, you know what? I, I, I do like this about you, Israel. You don't have anything. And I want to tell you this. There is nothing in this room for God to love. But yeah. his love is extreme. Amen. It is spontaneous in that he has an actual. and he's stimulated not by anything that Shettler has done today. Hey, I handed out a track today, Lord. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't do it with him. Right. There is nothing that I do that stimulates his love. He loves me because of who he is, not because of what I am. It is absolutely an unconditional love. A couple other words with that definition that's so important. Freely, spontaneous. It's voluntarily, abundantly, freely, expecting nothing in return. It's unconditional My friend, it is extreme. Take your Bibles quickly and turn to the first first chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. So several years ago, I was uh, starting a series on the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis. I heard an apologist said that every doctrine in the entire Bible is found in the first 12 chapters of Genesis. So I said, all right, that challenged me. That sounds like a great series. So sure enough, I did. And man, it was, it was one of my favorite all-time series. The first 12 chapters of Genesis covers everything. So I'm in my study, and I'm in Genesis chapter one, and I'm gonna do the, man, I'm so pumped about doing this message on creation and everything, and I'm in my study. Boy, I'll tell you, this was a moment. And I'm going through this chapter one, and you know, God made this, and it was good, and God, I said, whoa, what power. Oh, man, what a God, what a creator God. And I came to verse 16. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Yeah. 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 Yes, sir. I'm in my, I'm in my study. And I read those five words. He made the stars also. Okay, so like I think there's like trillions of these things. And I think they're like really big. And I think like most of them are bigger than the sun. And he made the stars also. He gives five words to the stars. And I start thinking. He gives a whole chapter to a harlot woman that has nothing to do with the story of Joshua at all. I realize, I realize the uh, the genealogy is going to come out of her. Okay, I do, but I'm telling you, you study the book of Joshua. By the way, the two spies that go in there, okay, that's not the way they're going to do it. That's like God's got a completely different plan than whatever those two spies were thinking they were going to do. Okay. Chapter 2 of the book of Joshua is absolutely not needed at all. It doesn't do anything for the storyline of the book of Joshua. Except there is a harlot woman who believes in the goodness and love of God. Because everyone believed that this God of Israel was powerful, but she believed in the love of God and that God would be good to her. And Rahab, the harlot, is saved because of the love of God. Five words to the stars, an entire chapter to a harlot. And I'll tell you why. Because God's love is unconditional. Hey, by the way, help me out a little bit. Everyone together. What is the New Testament name of Rahab? Now, you know, because that was the Old Testament. So the New Testament, she's called Rahab the? The what? Oh, you legalistic independent Baptist! Do you not know her New Testament name? You're right. Because in the New Testament, she's still called Rahab the harlot. Oh, God didn't really love her. No, no. God really loved her and didn't want anyone to ever forget the love that he had for that harlot woman. Hey, let me tell you something. Unconditional. It's spontaneous. Five words to the stars and a whole chapter to a harlot woman. Hey, you know, the most expensive painting that there has ever been millions upon millions of dollars. And matter of fact, I think last I heard it was over a hundred million dollars. And of course we know that this is a painting of the most beautiful woman that has ever existed. Mona Lisa. Oh I am so glad they laughed. Everybody. Mona Lisa is very plain Jane. (laughs) She's a wife of a merchant in Florentine, Italy. It ain't Mona Lisa. It's the artist who painted her. And let me tell you, my friend, it is not you. It is the God who loves you. And it is God who loves you that gives you your, you know what your value is? Yeah, well, I, I play one of the violins there at the church. That is not your value. Well, I, I, I go to college here. That is not your importance. Well, I, I'm one of the deacons here. And your point? <laughs> that would make them a servant, I believe, isn't that right? Hey, you know what our value is? Our value is not the way you look and what you can do. The value of you as a human being is that God loves you. It's his love on you that makes you valuable. Nothing that you've done. This really came home to me some years ago. I was on a missions trip. I went to Africa for two weeks. I went with another man from the church. And we spent one week in South Africa and the other week we spent in Kenya. And, and we did a, I did a, a, a Sunday through Wednesday meetings at a place called Thika Road Baptist Church. Had a great week of meetings with Pastor Julius and the people. At the, uh, we went through Wednesday. Thursday we were over at his house for lunch. And the phone rang during lunch and Pastor went in to answer the phone. And he came back out and he said, Brother Jim, the phone is for you. And I said, I don't know anyone in Kenya, you know. I don't. So when I go in and I answer the phone, I say, hello, this is Jim Shuttler. Yeah, I know who this is. Do you know who this is? Yeah, no, sir, I'm sorry, I do not know. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and I said, help me a little bit. He says a few more words. I said, it does sound kind of familiar. Do I know you? Yeah, like one of your best college friends. I'm going, oh Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, um, help me out. Shatler. And I went, oh, no. John. Yeah, John. (laughs) Were you going to come to Kenya and never come see my orphanage? And I went, whoa, I totally forgot, John. That's right, you got that orphanage. Yeah, I got that orphanage. Hey, listen, I talked to Pastor Julius. You're coming out. You're coming out tomorrow. We're going to show you. You get someone traveling with you? I said, yeah, you both are coming out for a day. And I said, that'll be great. So the next day, John picks us up, and he drives us about two and a half hours in a Land Rover. And 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 it's, oh, we didn't see much in those two weeks because we were doing ministry all the time. But now we got our little safari going. His orphanage is at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. And Mount Kilimanjaro, it's not like a mountain range. It's just one big mountain. It was beautiful. We saw a couple giraffes. We saw a few elephants. I'm going like, wow, oh, this is great. And a lot of bumps. And we're, driving the, and we're driving to the orphanage. Well, as we started getting up to the orphanage, we saw the six huts, a little compound. And the, and the grass was high. And we're driving towards the compound. And as we're driving towards the compound, the, the, the orphans can hear, uh, the, hear the, the car coming. So they start coming out. And now, we're about maybe 200 yards away. And, and you see the two track and you see the tall grass and you see the huts. And you start seeing some of the kids come out. Well, some of them are running. But you notice a couple of them got some crutches. And the closer you get, you realize there's some that don't have any legs. And as you begin to get a little closer, you begin to see the figures of these children. There's 18 of them. And as you start driving really close, I am looking at the most disfigured children I have ever seen in my entire life. There are children that had some kind of surgery with a cleft palate that didn't work out right and their face was just kind of like moved. There was one that didn't have a nose. There was one that didn't have an ear. There was one that didn't have an eye. They had some that didn't have arms. They were the most disabled, gross-looking children I have ever seen in my entire life. And I know, I know, listen, I got a Brian Busey will tell you the same thing. I got a witness to it. I've never seen anything. If one of those young people were here during this conference, every one of you would have said, hey, did you see the one child? Oh, so disfigured. There were 18 like that. We went to the dinner that night. I couldn't eat a thing. We went to that dinner and just watching the kids get the food into their mouth and trying to, it was just, I, I couldn't eat. Afterwards, we went into a room and John and Wendy began to play the guitar and the kids began to sing. And I'll tell you what, the old choir was really good tonight, but you should have heard those kids sing It as Well. Mm-hmm. You, you should have heard them sing Sanctuary. You should have heard them sing As the Deer. You should have heard them sing Blessed Assurance. And I'm going like, I had to close my eyes, but I'm going like, wow, those children can sing, man. Well, after the singing, they had to go off to bed. So, so they went, and, and John said, hey, Jim, I need talk to you. Talking? I said, yeah, what you got? I said, man, that's amazing today what you're doing with these kids. By the way, they were street kids. You know what that means? They were literally taken out as trash in the city of Nairobi. And they, and they just go down the streets, and they pick these kids up. They had, a bad, uh, they had a bad surgery or whatever, and these kids were discarded like trash. And John goes through and picks these kids up. And, and, and so, he, so he said, hey, Jim, tomorrow morning we have morning chapel. Before you and Brian leave, I want you to uh, speak to the kids. Well, Shetler doesn't miss an opportunity to preach, but I told John, I said, hey, I don't think I'm going to do that. That's okay. He said, Jim, you're going to speak tomorrow morning to chapel. And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that tomorrow morning. And he said, why? Because of the way the children look? And I said, yeah, I don't think I could stand in front of them. He said, no, you're speaking tomorrow morning. So that night I man I get up and I really struggle. I don't know, what do I say to these kids? I don't see anything like this. I woke up in the middle of the night and I came up with an idea. That can be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and I came up with an idea and I thought, you know what, maybe this will well I'm gonna try it and see what happens. Lord, I hope you're behind this. So the next morning, I, I get the kids. We're in one of the huts, and we're all crowded, in. and the kids come in. They, they claw, crawl over the top of their uh, benches and everything like that. And, and I get up in front of the kids, and I say, good morning, boys and girls. I am so excited to speak to you all this morning. i got to tell you how excited I was. I was so excited I forgot to eat breakfast I haven't had anything all morning. But I got a banana. And I had this banana. It was all scarred up. It was all bruised up. I said, I got a banana. And I said, boys and girls, do you mind if I eat the banana before I speak to you? And they said, oh, yeah, Brother Jim, eat the banana. Eat the banana, Brother Jim. And I said, okay, thanks a lot. Now, I don't know for sure what's going to happen. But I'm going to try something. I had a plan B, but I wasn't sure. I took the banana as if I had never eaten a banana before, and I took the banana with the skin on and I put it in my mouth. Uh-huh. And they go, "No, brother Jim, no." And I said, "No, boys and girls, let me just finish the banana." And then, "No, brother Jim," I said, "No what? Outside, no good." I said, "What are you talking about? Let me eat the banana." And they, "No, brother Jim, no." And I said, I, "I don't, I don't understand." "No, brother Jim, peel, peel the banana." I, I don't, I don't know what. What do you mean by, by Oh, oh, oh! Mm-hmm. Oh, boys and girls! Oh, boys and girls! Oh, boys and girls! Banana delicious! You girl, you boys and girls are so right! Boys and girls. Can I share something with you all? Boys and girls, you're outside. Not so good. But you're inside. Real good. Boys and girls, can I tell you this? Jesus didn't come for this. Jesus loves this. Boys and girls, you're some of the best children I've ever seen. God loves you. And he's got a plan and a purpose for every one of you. Boys and girls, it's not about the skin. It's about the inside. That's what God loves. Now you, everyone hear this? And I did this illustration for a reason. Because we live in a culture and a country that it's all about this. And let me tell you something, when we talk about God's love, we're not talking about the love for the external. We're talking about the love of who you are that you were created as an eternal living soul Brother Shetler why is God's love extreme because number 1 it's spontaneous it is absolutely <laughs> unconditional Brother Shetler what's our response to this kind of love very quickly two things number 1 is gratefulness man be grateful For the unconditional love that he loves. Your value and worth is one thing. God's love on you. Because God loves you, you're important. You're valuable. And then number two with this. You remember in your community and wherever you live that God loves that waitress that has the bad attitude. That mechanic who ripped you off. That neighbor who's the grump of all grumps. That co-worker who is just causing you more problems than anything you can imagine. Can I tell you something? God loves them too. And they have a value and they have a worth for you to read. It is unconditional love. But don't you forget God loves you unconditionally. Well, that was my long point. But let's go to number two really quickly. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. How do you... I know we're going to get back. I know someone else is going to get to Romans 8. But let me, and we've already kind of mentioned it. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 31 through 34. And then we're going to stand up. And we're going to read out loud together verse 35 through 39. All right? So number two, why is God's love extreme? Number one, because it's spontaneous. It's unconditional. Number two, because it's sacrificial. And that sacrificial love is absolutely, everyone together, number two is? It's unbelievable. The sacrificial part of God's love is unbelievable. What shall we then say to these things? Notice the seven questions about God's love. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son. But delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Everybody, let's stand to our feet and let's read out loud 35 through 39. Man, let's let God hear how much we love him. Everyone together I'm 35. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus Lord. Amen. Have a seat. Isn't that great? To God be the glory. Now listen, this is unbelievable love. And I believe it's unbelievable love because it's sacrificial. Now, I chose a passage of scripture you don't have to turn to if you don't want, but I chose a passage in Isaiah chapter 50 to prove this. The measure of any love is how much it gives. Well, we know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit gave everything and that Jesus Christ gave. Now, I use the Isaiah 50. We could have gone to any one of the Gospels, and we could have easily gone to the cross, and Jesus on the cross, and that would have been fine and beautiful. But I chose Isaiah 50, verse 6 and 7, for a reason. This is a messianic prophecy. In other words, this is prophesy... 700 years before Jesus is going to have this happen to him. What does that mean? Now, we know that before the foundation of the earth, Jesus knew what he was going to do. But I find this to be unbelievable. Look at verse number 6. I gave my back to the smiters. This has not happened yet, folks. This is 700 years before it happens. I gave my back to the smiters. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Wow. Only one time in my entire life have I ever been spit on. That is just like the grossest thing in the world. To have your beard plucked off, to have the crown of thorns, to have his back smitten. But look at verse 7 For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, shall I not be confounded. Now, look at this. Therefore, have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Brother Shelly, you could have gone to the New Testament and got a more horrific passage than this. I know, but there's a reason. Let me tell you how unbelievable this love is. Let me tell you how sacrificial this love is. He is not responding to what is happening that night. Friends, family members, he knew it before you were ever created and before the world was ever created. He knew what he was going to have to go through. And his love is so unbelievable. His love is so sacrificial that knowing what was ahead of him, he still was willing to go through all of that for Jim Shuttler and for you. Friends, that's unbelievable love. That is sacrificial love at a level that we know nothing to compare that with. What is our response to that sacrificial love? I think it's found in Genesis chapter 22. And the reason why this is an important passage is because, did you know, this is the first time love is mentioned in the Bible, the very first time love is mentioned in the Bible, it has to do with a father and a son. And in Genesis 22, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, test, put Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son. Now, by the way, the next three words are amazing. Thine only son. Everyone together is is Isaac Abraham's only son. So the Bible just lied. You have your first mistake in the Bible then. Now think about that. There's another guy named Ishmael. That's Abraham's son but did you notice God doesn't consider Ishmael because Ishmael was not a faith. Ishmael was of the flesh. And this is great to what you preached on today because let me tell you something, what performance Christianity does is figures out how to have an Ishmael from a Hagar. That's exactly what, it's gonna figure out its own way to do the will of God. Okay, you haven't given me a son yet, so I got to figure this out on my own. And that's what performance Christianity does it takes things into its own hands and does spiritual work. God says, I don't even consider Ishmael. You got one son. Because the only son of faith that you have, and that's the only thing I recognize is faith, God says, that is Isaac. And you take your son Isaac, isn't this beautiful? Unto the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. I love this. Our response to the sacrificial love that God has given to us, the unbelievable love, Is that, Lord, I love you so much because of what you sacrificed. Is there anything between me and you? Is it wrong for a father to love their son? No, no. But if the love for that son is greater than the love for God, then we give that up and we say, God, I love you more than anything else. This isn't performance. This is the response to this kind of sacrificial love. It is such an unbelievable love that our response to that love is God. I don't want to have anything between you and me. I'm a senior in college, and I'm just telling you guys, I love Mary Lee more than I love God. And God took Mary Lee out of my life, and I had to put Mary Lee on that altar. And when I did, I never knew. That I would ever date Mary Lee again and knew that I would never marry her. I put her on the altar, but I'll tell you, she was more important to me than God was. And God had, I had to get God right into my life. And then the Lord brought back Mary Lee. And it was a different Mary Lee, it was a different relationship. You see, some of you are struggling, some of you got something that you love more than God. And God is saying, hey, on everything that you've heard about my love towards you, are you willing to put that on the altar? Are you willing to put that habit, that hobby? Are you willing to put that relationship? Am I more important than your children? Do you love me more than anything else in this world? That's our response to this unbelievable love. Last thing and we're done. Real quickly. Our love, God, extreme love is unconditional. It's unbelievable. And what's the last one? Number three. I had the word strong. I had the word strong. I believe God's love is extreme because it's spontaneous. It's sacrificial. And number three, it's strong. Boy. Oh, I got to ask this. How many of you in this room have been married for more than 40 years? Would you stand up right now? You've been married for more than 40 years. We got many? Wow. All right, stay standing, stay standing. How many of you in this room? Hey, by the way, has your love been strong for 40 years? If you're standing, it has. That's a yes, guys. (laughs) And turn this into a marriage conference. Okay, if you're standing right now, your marriage has been strong. Your love has been strong. for. Hey, remain standing if you've been married for more than 50 years. We got anyone? We got a few. We got a few. The one sat down, the other one didn't. <laughs> Brother Tober your first wife I'm talking about. <laughs> how, many, how many years, Brother Tober said? 50 and a half, 50 and a half Amen. Let's get on my hand, I'm telling you. Mel, how many years have you been married? 51 years. Is your, is your love still strong? Your love... Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Brother Toberson, your love's still strong? Well, let me tell you about a stronger love. Jeremiah 31, verse 3 that his love is everlasting love. Then that's a strong love. Man, that's a love that won't let you go. I'll never forget the first time I took my, my oldest son, Ben out for a walk. He was a few months old. And he, I put my hand down and he grabbed my little pinky. It was the cutest little thing in the world. And we were walking along and he stepped on something and he lost his balance. He let go of my finger. Fell flat on his face. If you saw him today, you'd know why he looks the way you No. Know. <laughs> He's bleeding, he's scraped his face, he's crying. I bring him in, and Marilee says, Give me them! You don't know what you're doing! I was the baby of the family, so I never was around babies, you know. I, I didn't know what I was doing. She said, You'll never be here with him again, you know. Go, ah. She was out two weeks later. She's out shopping. He's still got the scabs, you know. I said, Hey, Ben, you wanna go for a walk? Walk, Daddy, walk. I said, Come on, let's go outside. We go outside. I put my hand up, he grabs my little pinky. I said, No, 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 no. I reach down and I grab his wrist. And now he starts walking along. He starts falling. I just pick him up. <laughs> I, just walk up. I start picking him up. You know, we got another ball game now. It's not Ben holding on to dad. It's dad holding on to Ben. And as long as dad's holding on to Ben, he ain't getting out of that. Let me tell you about the love. Aren't you glad that your love isn't dependent on how you hold on to God? Aren't you glad that he has a strong love and he holds on to you? Tell you the last story. Um, I was out mowing the lawn when the boys were younger. I have three sons, Ben, Luke, and Drew. And I think if I remember the story right, uh, at, at their ages, I think Ben was 15. That would make Luke 12... And that would make Drew six. And I believe that was right. Five, 12, and six. Well, we had a swimming pool. It's the middle of the summer. All the kids want to go down the Shuttler's House. Now, I had to div- divvy up the days. But for whatever reason, I don't know what I did it for. I let them all have all their friends. So there's like about 12 kids in the swimming pool. And I'm mowing the lawn, and I'm out mowing the lawn, and and we're we're mowing the lawn, and I'm watching these kids, and they are playing the absolute stupidest game that has ever been created. I mean, it is the stupidest game that's ever been created. Marco! (laughs) Polo! Marco Polo. That is like the stupid... First of all, all the old teenagers got their eyes wide open. They're not playing right. And the little six-year-olds, are running around. They can't. I said, Ben, Ben, come on, play right with them. So they stopped playing Marco Polo. Then they play the second stupidest game there's ever been, chicken. So now this could work. You get the 15-year-old, and they put a six-year-old on their shoulder. But that's not what happened. The 15-year-olds put 15-year-olds on their shoulders. The 12-year-olds put 12-year-olds. And the 6-year-olds put 6-year-olds on their shoulders. Well, my son is, my, my youngest, Drew's the run of the litter in there. There's kids in there. There's a guy named Michael Getch. Michael Getch turns out to be 6 foot 5. He was, at age 6, he was like 6 foot, you know? <laughs> Grant Tuba. Caleb Purcell was a bowling ball. He was as wide as he was high. So even amongst the little guys, my guy, Drew, who's a normal person, not a freak, my guy, Drew, is the smallest kid in that pool. And he's getting killed. He's trying, hey, Ben, Luke, come on. Come on, play that ride. Come on, guys. Stop that. Hey, come on, help those guys. No, guys. Oh, that's it. And I go back in the house, and I change, and I put my swim trunks on. And I come on out there, and I said, hey, guys, I jump in the pool. Hey, hey, Pastor shower! I said, yeah, what you doing? Playing chicken. You want to play? I said, yeah, Drew, come here. <laughs> so Drew comes over, and I put Drew on my shoulders. Let me just tell you what just happened. Drew went from the weakest person in that pool to the strongest person in that pool. So I said, okay, now, now, what's the object of the game? Knock him over and kind of put him on. Sure, okay, okay, let's go ahead and let's start playing. <laughs> uh, uh, pastor, 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 what? <laughs> Drew is not doing a thing. He's up there and he's just holding on, laughing. He just said, "Oh, Dad, do it, go, Dad. I said, I got this, man. Come on. <laughs> Mr. Shelly, you're killing us. No, you are killing my boy. I want to tell you something. God loves you, man. God says, "Come on, get on my shoulders." I, I, I have absolutely unbelievable, unconditional, and I got unstoppable love for you. Oh, what I got planned for you! What I want to do with you in your life! oh, what we could do in the church, trust my love. Well, I want to tell you, I uh, grew up a Catholic. I was a little Catholic boy till 12. I was told, be good, do good, look good, and at the end of your life, if your good outweighs your bad, you'll get to heaven. By age 12, I knew this is not working well. (laughs) I was on a retreat with a bunch of independent Baptist young people and they had the joy of the Lord as their strength. Those kids exuberated the love of God. And on November 8th, 1969 in Kalamazoo, Michigan on a retreat on a weekend, Pastor Dan Wheelhauer, the youth pastor said, is there anyone here that wants to receive Jesus as their savior? And I'll tell you, I grew up hearing about Jesus. I had the religion thing, but these kids had a relationship, and they knew a God of love that I never knew. I didn't understand what it meant, but I raised my hand on November 8, 1969, as a 12-year-old boy, and Dan Wheelhauer explained to me that I was a sinner, that was not hard. And he asked me if I wanted to receive Jesus. and I said, man, I want the love that those kids have. And as a 12-year-old boy, I trusted Jesus Christ as my savior. I'll tell you what. I always struggled going into a little closet and telling someone on the other side of a board what I had done. You think I told them everything? No way. I said, man, this is religion kind of stuff. But I want a relationship with God. And let me tell you what his love does. His love is unconditional. His love is unbelievable. And I am so thankful tonight. His love is unstoppable. And what that causes us Man, I want to respond to that. Think about what we've heard today, and today was Tuesday. We got Wednesday and Thursday yet to go. Let God break up the fallow ground and let the love of God just drip off of us. God loves you unconditionally, God loves you unbelievably, and God loves you unstoppably. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm telling you, it's unstoppable. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.